I'm Silvahara Petian. Welcome to my show. We talk ordinary people, extraordinary stories, living life on their own terms. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This is the Silvahara Petian Show. Today, we're going to be talking about voting, the importance of the immigrant vote, particularly in 2020. Joining us today, a woman who has worked tirelessly and for many, many years to make sure that we have everyone registered to vote. Uh, she is a community activist. She's an advocate for human and civil rights. She, I honestly don't know how she finds the time to be on so many boards and involved in so many different organizations. She's a public servant. Her passion is education, youth empowerment, women's rights. Elena Sadurian, if you don't know her, you should probably get to know her because she is a force to be reckoned with. She is currently on the LA County Community Voters Outreach Committee. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay, <laughs> awesome. So she is very well aware of the challenges and um, all of the things that we have to do in order to get the vote out. I want to make sure that everyone listening to this understands that this is not a partisan show. This is a bipartisan show. Regardless of what your view is, we here today want to talk about the importance of using the power of your voice. And if you know me, I talk about that all the time. And voting is one of those very important things, particularly as an immigrant community, as an Armenian, as someone who was born in Iran. So I know the Persian community. And if you live anywhere in the Los Angeles area, you know that there are a lot of different minorities and immigrants that make L.A. the melting, beautiful pot that it is. But no matter where you live in this country, there has never been a time that is more important for you to exercise your vote and your voice than there is today in the, on November 3rd because our future depends on it. Just you have to talk about what is important to you and you have to take a stand. And here to talk with us about that is Elena Sadurian. Thank you for joining us. I know you're very busy, but I know this is an important um, and very powerful topic and close to your heart. It is. Um, it's actually the reason that I got involved at a very early age. Um, I think elections in general were, and seeing the, the power of a single vote, especially in a local election, uh, and seeing the difference that you can make uh, with that single vote, I think inspired me to actually be involved in politics and help others use their voice. Um, it's not really finding their voice, but using their voice right. in the electoral process. We, we all have a voice. It's a matter of how we use it. And I think sometimes we forget how powerful it is, whether it's casting a ballot or just speaking up about what's happening and considering what's happening in politics today with the pandemic and the racial injustice that we've been seeing. There's never been a time right. that it's more important to do that. And I know you've been a very active and vocal participant on all of those fronts. Can you talk to me a little bit about where you found the passion and the courage to speak up that way? Because you and I know that in the communities that we live in, that's not necessarily something that, that is encouraged or even maybe sometimes even supported. Well, um, I grew up in a very different Glendale that we see today. And um, 
Um, mostly at that time, the Armenian American community was an immigrant community. Uh, I grew up in a city uh, where the city government and the school uh, structures didn't actually properly represent or reflect the community that they were serving. Um, I grew up in schools where I saw my fellow classmates being pushed against walls and being targeted for being Armenian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, I'd say my first involvement was really, um, you know, middle school and high school and, and going to school board meetings and uh, raising issue with what was going on uh, in, our, in our schools. Um, and then, um, because I was so involved on campus, um, Rafa Mnookin was running for Glendale City Council in 1999, um, and they came to recruit uh, volunteers, and I went um, in helping register Armenian Americans to vote during that election, and really helping them through the voting process, uh, which was very intimidating for them, made me realize uh, what an important role each of us can play. And um, I'd say, I want to say it was in 2000, um, there was a lady that used to come to Glendale City Council meetings every Tuesday uh, and tell Armenians to go back where they came from. Um, that was a very painful, I don't know why I was watching um, City Council meetings at the age of 16, but um, it was something that was very heartbreaking for me to see. And uh, more importantly, was the silence that came from the council members when she was spewing this really hatred um, into the community. So uh, one of the times my brother is about 10 years younger than me, um, as I was watching and she came on and he didn't have anything positive to say um, about white people hearing what she was saying about Armenians. And at this time he was like six years old. And that really sat really negative with me because he was, you know, a, a, a six-year-old um, making assumptions about a whole group of people based off of one individual. And so after having that very long conversation with him, I actually went to the city council meeting and I said, though I understand it's your First Amendment right to use oral communication, I would hope that the city council would actually take action in turning off the microphone knowing that this is what she says every Tuesday, um, to at least not, you know, disperse that into the community. Um, and lo and behold, they actually took action right there on the spot, which is never heard of um, during, or, you know, because I went during oral communications as well, and she never came back. So, you know, for me, between that initial campaign, which led to many other campaigns, um, and really turned into uh, a career built on passion um, over the years and volunteerism. Um, that was that was that was my big cue. How one person can really make, you know, the the tiniest bend perhaps that can have ripple effects down the line. Wow, what a story! Um, you know, I I grew up, or I shouldn't say grew up because I really just got into the country nineteen eighty eight. So just, you know, a few years before you did. And I actually did graduate from Hoover as well. And I remember those moments and remember being told to go back. And I remember feeling like I didn't belong or we didn't belong. And it wasn't just Armenians. It was anyone who just looked anything other than what, you know, the population had been used to. 
Um, right. And I really commend you because I don't think at that, I mean, I was pretty active and vocal, but I don't think I was that active and vocal and didn't realize the power of the um, voice in the arena that you discovered it in. So, you know, I, I went a completely different route. I went to journalism route because I, right. I was like, I'm going to change things. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I love well, that. I love the passion. Honestly, I don't know why I chose to do that. Um, and, you know, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't just school board meetings. I remember being called by my classmates out of class to go to the dean's office because somebody was about to get suspended. Or, oh, my God. They used to do the uh, same it thing. Was just like, you know, All the time. They used to call why. me out of the I office, too. I constitution book in my, in my backpack. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, like, I think back now, it's kind of, the stories are very bizarre. <laughs> so but, I feel like we've um, had parallel lives. This is so strange. But I, I love that because at, the, at a young age, you discovered the power of one person speaking up about something that just doesn't sit right and isn't. isn't. Um, so tell, I'm going to ask you as just from one Armenian woman to the next, how did you handle the backlash? How, did you, how, did you, how have you handled the pushback that you get from people who don't quite get what you're doing? To kind of continue on my own path, I don't actually give that much energy to that. Mm-hmm. I actually don't give energy to that. Um, I think uh, when I do see backlash, um, it reaffirms my commitment to the issues that I care about, um, that I'm passionate about. So they actually become my driving force. And so if, if I continue to see racism, whether it's against my own community or any other uh Group and what we're seeing now with uh, Black Lives, um, that's continu- has been continuing on for for centuries. Or uh, whether it's about you know standing up for women's rights and um, you know being in a position where you're constantly on a daily basis fighting for that double standard that exists in absolutely every industry. Um, those are all things that inspire me on a daily basis to continue my work. So. Um, I don't give it the energy I think that most people um, give it. I kind of turn that energy into action. I love that. You know, I ask these questions because I know that there's people out there who are are trying to figure out what to do with all of that. And there's people out there who are in the midst of, for example, speaking out and, and being, you know, supporting Black Lives Matter and they are getting pushbacks and they're getting... Uh, ostracized and and not just in within our own communities but just everywhere and I think no um, um, the backlash especially with my involvement with and speaking out uh, against black lives has been unreal um, and the kind of hate that I received I'll tell you I think there was there were about maybe two days that one or two days where I, I removed all the apps from my phone um, because I was getting thousands of messages um, a day, basically. None of them, not none of them, there were plenty that were positive, but, you know, words that I've never imagined people using. Um, and interestingly enough, um, um, it, it became to a point where I, I couldn't respond to people. I couldn't have that many conversations, individual conversations, and so um, I needed, and again, this leads you know, leads me back to where do you put your energy? I can dedicate a certain amount of time to respond to those, but with everything that I respond and what's happening on social media nowadays, that means that I'm not actually putting in my energy where I could be 
to be more effective. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you for for being um, transparent about that because um, part of the reason why I started these conversations is because. Um, I don't think we talk enough about the things that we need to talk about, like the kind of hate we receive when we stand up for things that other people don't agree with. Um, I know that you've gotten those messages because my inbox was full of them as well. My inbox has been full of them for years. Um, if I reported on um, women's equality, if I reported on gay and lesbian um, and, and transgender matters, if I reported on... Um, Black Lives Matter, if I post anything that is the things that people are capable of saying, it it's really sometimes really disheartening and heartbreaking and really sad. Um, I, I feel just like you, this is for people who are on the fence, who are not sure about, they know where they stand, but they're not sure about whether they should publicly actually declare it. This is for those people that to say there are people like you and me and so many like us out there who are taking a stance publicly and we are speaking our truth regardless of the backlash and regardless of losing friends, regardless of the terrible things that other people have to say because it is more important to speak up today and stand in your truth than it is to continue to have a friendship with people or interaction with people or have other people's approval. Well, I'll tell you, I don't think I, you know, through the process, and, you know, this isn't, I've been involved in politics, I guess, at this point over 20 years. And so with every, every issue, there's been, you know, some dialogue one way or another. But my point has always been to approach people with love um, and respect and kindness. And so regardless of, how someone may act towards me, um, I choose to be me, and that, that me is being respectful. Um, my biggest concern right now, especially leading up to elections, is this meme culture that is kind of setting policy. Um, I see a lot of people posting about things that, you know, are so far away from, from the policy positions. Um, and, you know, I, I see it kind of um, uh, take flight, and I'm seeing it on different accounts um, where people take this as facts versus actually doing the homework and um, seeing whether or not that elected official or candidate actually took that position, or if, you know, what's being described in that meme or that headline is actually... Accurate. Um, what what transpired, transpired, and it's, it's a very, very scary path to go down. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, especially even with, like, Black Lives, um, just because somebody speaks out against racism and discrimination that's going on in this country, and police brutality does not mean that same person is also okay with the violence and the looting. And just because, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, you know, I, I may be a Democrat, but for me, um, there, there's, there seems to be, especially now leading up to elections, that somehow if you're a Republican, then you're automatically racist. If you're a Democrat, then you're, you know, you're standing up for, you know, to, to categorize people just by their party preference is, <laughs> I mean, um, is such a um, small-minded small-minded small, small way of looking at it, you know, yeah. and there, there have been incredible 
uh, local, state, and federal officials that have been part of either party that have taken on these causes and have stood up. And there have been those that, regardless of their party, um, have actually, um, you know, taken certain actions that have brought us to where we are today. So, um, and so though my, you know, whether it's social value, social issues or um, fiscal issues and, and programming that I believe in that aligns more with the Democratic Party, this whole hate culture that's being created created is extremely concerning to me. And um, I think the one thing that I'm happy with is the ability to have the dialogue with my Republican friends um, and having the opportunity to whether it's local and state level um, um, policymakers to, to be able to work across the aisle um, on policy issues that impact the daily lives of every Californian. And you know, if we're working on federal issues, then everybody in the United States. Yeah, I think um, the importance of having to educate yourself um, just as much as I watch MSNBC and I watch CNN, I'm, I'm, I watch just as much Fox News. Just as much as I read the New York Times, I read the Washington Post and, and The Economist. Just as much as I listen to NPR, I also listen to Al Jazeera. I mean, I think it is incredibly important, especially, in, and this is the segue to talking about immigrant communities, particularly for immigrant communities to stay informed using all platforms and all different types of information in order for you to then be able to make your decision. It's a personal decision on where you stand and what your views are. And this is the beauty of this country is that we can respect everyone's decisions. But to, like you said, to see these memes and to see these headlines reposted or, or posted or retweeted by people without having done any fact checking or any reading is, very disheartening. So if this is this is anything, if you take anything from this conversation so far, we hope that you are inspired to expand your mind a little bit more about what's going on in this country because... Read the details. Read the details. And yeah, with the details, the details, yes. Um, and one policy issue can never be summed down to a meme is what I'd, <laughs> I'd like to come in here. <laughs> and neither can, neither can a, a party, not, neither can a candidate, neither can a person. So I think, um, you know, one of the most important things within our community is one, to learn to respect each other and each other's views and also make sure that we communicate with love because I really, I, I don't know if I can take another hateful message in my inbox. Um, but also to help each other grow in this space because our vote is important in accounts. Uh, what we say and how we say it counts. We are a huge population um, in Los Angeles, and I know our, uh, some of the work that you've done with voter registration and, and the turnouts have actually shifted some, some um, elections. So can we talk a little bit about the importance of that and the significance of that? Sure. Um, so I can, I can actually go back to 1999. I was a volunteer for the campaign, but that was really the, the turning point for the Armenian community. Um, during the campaign, we registered, I, I believe, 45,000, if not 10,000 Armenians to vote. And for the first time, uh, Armenians became a voting bloc in the city of Glendale. The, Rafa Munikin obviously won that election, and he won it by Armenian votes, which was the first time a candidate won because of the Armenian community, 
And the headline on the Pinguino News Press the next morning was, The Sleeping Bear Has Woken. And he was referring to the Armenian-American community that all of a sudden found its voice at the, at the ballot box. Mm. And so that became kind of the starting point for the Armenian community, um, you know, here in Glendale, and then obviously Los, uh, uh, Las Villas area, like uh, Little Armenia, uh, Hollywood area. Mm-hmm. And of course, as the community grew and shifted, whether it's Pasadena or the Valley, um, then there were voter registration programs that were implemented to ensure that we also registered uh, community members in these different areas. So um, I used to be the executive director of the ANC in Glendale, then ANC Western Region. Um, and uh, in between those posts, uh, we launched a program called High Votes, uh, which had one purpose and one purpose only to register Armenian Americans to vote and get them out to uh, to vote on election day. Um, and so, um, within about a two-year, two, two to three-year period, we registered over 50,000 Armenians to vote just in LA County alone. And um, when we talk about like immigrant communities voting, um, let's keep in mind that, um, and I hope that. One thing people have taken away from COVID is how important local elections are. Everybody's always worried about presidential, but the local elections are the ones that really impact your your daily life. You you see now um, how, you know, the decisions that your council members make or board of supervisors for the county make, make all the difference for you and how you operate and live (laughs) in the city that that you live in. And so, uh, right after Rafi Manukian's campaign, uh, Paul Krikorian, who's currently a uh, Los Angeles City Council member, ran for state assembly, uh, which also galvanized a whole new group of uh, people in the 43rd Assembly District to register to vote. Um, and with each of these campaigns, and every time you had an Armenian candidate, you had a group of Armenian kids that all of a sudden became involved in the political process, right? And so, because they were inspired by their own um, to, to, to be involved and to kind of make a difference for their own community. So, um, the Robin Hood Games was the kickoff. Paul Krikorian ran in um, 2000. He lost. Uh, Congressman Schiff's race was a very important one that the Armenian community played a very big role in. Uh, in determining who won that election. If you remember the Sherman <laughs> Herman, um, uh, battle that went on a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. Armenian communities both played a very important part in that election in deciding who gets elected. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, so for example, in 2009, I believe it was, 2009 or 2001, there's been too many elections, um, the for example, Rafa Mujikian uh, won by 265 votes. The, the, the recent LA, uh, LA uh, City Council District 7 special elections was decided by 800 some votes. I mean, these are <laughs> uh, Senator Portantino, who currently is the appropriations chair for the state of California, lost his first race by two votes. Two votes, me and you. So, you know, when, when people think that they don't, you know, their voice doesn't matter or their vote doesn't matter, you know, there's um, <laughs> many of elections that I can point to and say, hey, you know, if, if we didn't have 
the spot of people voting or participating, then the outcome would have been very different and the representation that we got as a community would have been very different. Yeah, and yeah. that does make a difference because who you elect within your city and your county, and you're right, during the pandemic, it's been very obvious the, the, the quality of your life and your lifestyle within, within, your, you know, within your community and the city and expanding to LA County. And of course, you know, the state is a governor, you know, and of course, uh, and your, your representatives, they're the ones who then go work for you on your behalf in holding people accountable, making sure that there's money to, to be spent on different programs and, and, uh, and holding other people accountable for the things that they're not supposed to be doing or doing. So right. the trickle-down effect is important, and I think this is the part of the education and paying attention to the details is extremely right. important. Um, well, and here's, let me, if I may add, you know, um, the, the campaign element and the, you know, the elected position element are really, really important in American politics, right? Um, when we talk about you know, just electing somebody that's right and will represent you. Uh, at the end of the day, when campaigns kick off, the first thing that a, a candidate and his team looks at is who votes. They're going to go after the votes, right? And so, for example, if they see that, um, you know, the Armenian community is participating in large numbers and they're a voting bloc, then they actually pay attention and come up with policies that impact that community and how they serve them. Yeah. And when they get elected, in order to get reelected, they need to, when they're in office, cater to that to that community and that voting block. So my uh, you know participation in campaigns in particular has always been to kind of bring it back to my community and say, if we're not showing up uh, on those uh, polls and breakdowns of voting blocks, then no one's going to pay attention to what we need uh, as a community. It's not going to provide the resources or work on policy issues that matter to us. Right. And that was a really concise way of answering really why the immigrant vote is so important. Right. Because right. if you yeah. want resources and you want your voice heard and you want things done within your community, if you are a voting block and you show up in numbers, then right. the, the, the person who's running for office has to reverse engineer their campaign in order to cater to you. So that was a perfect way of explaining it. But well, that, and, and if, I, if I may add, and if you are living in a district that you actually um, don't, you know, by population are not a big, uh, you know, a big population within that district, one of the things that's very powerful is to create partnerships with other minority groups in solidifying your vote and your concerns and your issues. And the Armenian American community did that um, uh, with, for example, the Korean community up in uh, uh, San area, Lakanyara area, where there's a heavy Korean population. Um, when I was at ANC Glendale and we were working on policy issues for popular representation uh, or different departments, when we talked about the Armenian community, we also talked about the Korean community and its needs uh, because it kind of went hand in hand uh, at the time with respect to the population versus representation within city government. Right. Um, let's talk about the, the challenge of, of getting the immigrant community and the immigrant voters out, um, particularly during this election, particularly 
since we're still in the middle of a pandemic, particularly because there's been so much misinformation about where this comes from and what the reasons are and how you protect yourself and mask and no mask. And quite frankly, I have watched some some very concerning and alarming shows and conversation and rhetoric um, in our own language, whether it be in Farsi or Armenian, with misinformation informing a huge population of people of things that are not accurate. Particularly when you talk about people who come from former communist countries, yeah. but, but people who come from former regimes like Iran, where you had a um, you know, regime that where, you know, I feel like some of the stuff I'm watching now, it's what I used to see and hear about back, you know, where I used to be with people getting um, kidnapped in, in vans and taken somewhere where you, you don't know. Like, so let's talk about some of the challenges and some of the hurdles that we have to overcome in order for, for us to have confidence that we need to show up uh, at the polls and we need to cast our ballots. So, I definitely think you nailed it because when we were doing voter registration, uh, especially with, you know, within the communities that had language barriers that had just, you know, um, become citizens or um, they were a particular voting bloc, um, there was a distrust in government, distrust in the electoral process because of where they come from and how they've always felt like their voice doesn't matter. Um, and so I think it was building that trust and one of the most important things, and that is why you know the, the high bus program still exists and is in full force that the ANC Western Region and its local chapters handle. That is why uh, programs like that are so important because if you are just a government entity or a community organization that doesn't really understand that minority or, uh, group and your makeup does not include those that speak the same language and come from the same backgrounds, you know, you're not going to be able to build that trust in order for them to feel comfortable enough to fill out that voter registration form, in order for them to call you and say, hey, I don't know how to fill out my, my ballot, how do I do it? Mm -hmm. And um, one thing for certain is that since 2012, every time we've opened up a headquarters for high votes in the different um, uh, targeted areas for elections, what we've seen is a voter turnout that's four times more than the ones that we haven't opened up. And so regardless of how many years it's been, and so I like I always count back to 1999, right? And you know, obviously that number has grown over the years, but I mean it's been so many election cycles at this point that you would think that the community itself, and for the most part they do feel comfortable with the voting process, but there's this hand holding that happens, there's that reminder, the urgency and the, the importance of, you know, just getting out and voting regardless of who they choose to vote for. And mm -hmm. so um, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. I think it's, you know, it also applies to the census um, because for them, you know, the, the concept of, you know, being counted and, you know, the government knowing <laughs> where you are um, is a whole other thing. And I, I don't know if it's uh, with every, immigrant community, but one of the big things I've heard within our own uh, with voter registration uh, has been this myth that somehow you get called for jury duty um, if you register to vote. And I don't know why that would be a bad thing. I've never been called. I would love to be <laughs> a jury by the way. Um, but I, I do want to 
debunk that myth uh, because if you have a driver's license or a ID, you're already on that list. And that is why a lot of folks that are actually not citizens um, um, incorrectly receive the jury duty notice that then they have to respond to the same. So just to clarify this myth, voter registration doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be called for jury duty. The fact that you have a driver's license and you're already in the system, that determines jury duty. So, right, you're, you're all, you're all be, already be on the roster if you have a driver's license or an ID right. uh, through the DMV, so voter registration doesn't change that. And I have no idea where this myth started, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we've been at trying to debunk this for many, many years and somehow... Okay, now I'm curious, what are some of the other things that you heard? <laughs> that I'm, I'm, I want to be, I, I think we can be, we can, we can be able to use... The other one, you know, and this again comes from, you know, depending on what, what country they come from, right, is that elections are already decided and that this is all, you know, just a big show. Um, and I'll tell you, um, what I've seen at the polls at every election and um, how we've kind of organized, you know, we talk about voter oppression nowadays and, and some of the methods that maybe, you know, hindering people from voting. Um, for many, many years, all the way to this last election, we actually, as an Armenian community, had poll monitors at, at key poll locations um, that made sure that people weren't turned away. That, I mean, <laughs> um, I'll go back to Pocket Korean school board race in Burbank. I want to say it was 2001 or 2002. Um, and, you know, for example, 8 p.m., the, the polls are supposed to close, but if you're online, you can vote. Mm -hmm. And uh, the line was just out the door and around the block with Armenian Americans that wanted to vote. And the poll worker, by the way, poll workers are like basically volunteers who have a couple of hours of training, just something that I think the county, you know, we need to do a more thorough job in training folks. So the individual insisted that they close the door, and I, I, I happened to be the, the monitor for that location um, and asking like people not to leave. And I literally held the door open with my body, and I was like, thrown out <laughs> and called the clerk to make sure the clerk came and like asked everybody else to stay in line and you know sure enough like five ten minutes later the clerk showed up and insisted that they open the door so people can vote but um, from people, people being turned away um, you know Armenians have a particular last name or a name that you know they we are easily you know, identifiable that's for right. sure. And so, so, you know, a lot of times we would see that they'd be asked, be asked for IDs, and if they didn't have it, they would, you know, be turned away. But this last election was different because you could vote at any uh, polling location in the county. But prior to that, you had to go to your own polling location. But what people didn't know is if you actually ended up in the wrong polling location, you could just vote provisionally. Mm -hmm. And the chances that somebody leaves a polling location and actually goes to theirs is pretty much non-existent, mm -hmm. right? And so our uh, big fight was to ensure that, you know, people, if they showed up at the wrong polling location, were given the opportunity to vote, um, and they were, you know, folks were just not turned away um, because there was a language barrier, they didn't know how to do that. So um, I know that there are a lot of communities that do this, um, and it depends on the election cycle and uh, who's monitoring them. Um, I'll tell you that the Glendale, LA, and 
uh, clerks and then the, the county registrar actually. Um, they've done a great job in now recruiting Armenian poll workers, so um, that also helps alleviate some of this community organizing around um, having full monitors and making sure people aren't turned away because there's a familiar face when they walk in. Yeah, um, and it's incredibly important to also understand the process, right? If you don't understand the process, then you don't know that you can actually vote as long as you are in line. If you don't understand the process, you don't know that you can vote provisionally if you're at the wrong polling site. So um, where can you send people? Where can people find those types of process-related information um, to, just to be prepared for 2020 if this is the first time they're going to be voting, if this is the first time they're going to help someone else get to the poll? What what can you share with us some resources that we can actually let people have? So, um, lavote.net um, would have all the information that you need. Um, it'll also have like a voters' bill of rights. Um, as you're aware, um, they're looking at doing an all-male ballot mm -hmm. system, but that also doesn't mean that there aren't going to be voting places people can stop at um, to actually vote in, in place there. It's just going to look very different than it did in the past with all the all the different polling locations. And the county registrar is currently working on, on those locations and identifying those that people can actually stop by and vote in person or submit their, drop off their ballot mm -hmm. without actually using mail to drop them off. But lavote.net would be the place that you would be able to find any elections information um, and then uh, your your Bill of Rights as a voter. Uh, you can also register to vote online there. Um, uh, they actually link it up to DMV now, so um, you, it's a very, very simple application that you fill out online, and um, it also grabs your information and your signature um, off of DMV. And so if you do register online, one of the things I'd like to know is make sure when you get your ballot, to sign your ballot the same way you signed on your driver's license, mm. because they they check the the signatures to decide whether or not your your vote counts, yeah. and it was you that actually voted. And most importantly for this year, since we're going to be able to vote um, via mail, is to not wait till the last minute. No matter who you're voting for, and no matter whether or not you think your vote makes a difference or not, to please go out and vote, uh, because at the end of the day, we are as strong as our numbers at the ballot box. And that applies to every single minority community um, that makes up this very diverse city of LA and LA County and California. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Silvahara Petion Show. We'll see you next time. I'm Silvahara Petion. We talk ordinary people, extraordinary stories, living life on their own terms. <laughs>